And Mary, this woman was a real, literal virgin. And Jesus, as he was born, was a real, tangible, literal baby. And he was a real and literal son of the Most High. And there was a real and literal manger, and there were real and literal shepherds. It's a story that actually occurred. And it brought forth someone, this Jesus, the real and literal baby, who became a real man. And died a real, literal death on a cross. And that's why it's important for us to really grab hold of his story. A real, literal story. There are three things, briefly, that I want to show you in our short time together this morning. The kids already proclaimed the message this morning, didn't they? Well, I'll just close it up right there and have an invitation time. But then I wouldn't get to do my job and I'd be antsy all week and Julie wouldn't appreciate that. So let me get it out here with all of you. Merry Christmas, by the way. That's the story. His story of Christmas. The first truth that I really want to focus on this morning, if you look in chapter 2, is that Jesus lived a real and literal life. It was, he said, good tidings of great joy in verse 10 that will be to all people. For today is born to you in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And they go and they find them in a manger living. And that was the first real tangible truth that, hey, you know what? All these things that we've been told, these are real literal things. Because the baby was, in fact, real. Jesus lived, from that point forward, a real, literal, earthly life. And that's important for us to know because the the events set in place by his real, literal life affect us. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 9 and show you why is that so important. What does it mean for me that it was real, that it was literal life that he lived? Well, chapter 9 of Hebrews in verse 11 says this. This is concerning Jesus' life right here. Listen carefully. But Christ came, that's the baby, Jesus, as high priest of the good things to come, the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. That is to say that he came, this Christ, came for um, to, to show to give to us a more perfect tabernacle. Tabernacle is just a fancy word that means to dwell among us. It's the word for a tent. He he lived a real and literal life, and that is the fact that God came real in a literal, literal, tangible, touchable way in order to perform a ministry. There was a purpose behind the, the coming of Christ, behind the birth and his real life. And that purpose had to do with this idea of blood. Now, that there's kind of some context, and let me just, for some of, the, uh, of those of you that maybe don't know, let me bring you up to speed. Blood's an important part of a certain thing called redemption. We talked about it last week. Blood is the sacrifice that's required to make on behalf of the sin of mankind. We sin, and because of our sin, we're distanced from God. We, we cannot get to where God is because he's holy and we're unholy. But there's a sacrifice, there's a payment that can be made on behalf of our sin. And in the Old Testament, in the old ways, they learned that that, that sacrifice was made by atoning a, a, a mercy seat with blood. And the innocent animal was slain on behalf of the sins of the people. And for a temporary purpose, for temporary means, their sins were forgiven. But all that was pointing to a picture where a real and literal blood had to be applied, had to be shed for all of our sins. That's why the, the angel said that he has come for all mankind. 
And that's what he's talking about here. Not with the blood of goats and calves. So, so that, that was temporary. That worked on a temporary basis. But it, what it's really pointing to was this. Look at verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer sprinkling up the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. Now watch this. How much more shall the blood of Christ, the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. If, 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 if that temporary glimpse where the blood of animals were, were placed for your sin worked a little bit, he's saying how much more will the eternal blood of Jesus work for the atonement of your sins? You see, guys, the only way his blood was more perfect than the blood of animals is because he lived a real literal life and he experienced real and literal temptation and in the midst of this earth the same one that you and I live on he never sinned he went without fault and without sin in a real life that qualified him to shed the blood of God which is a more perfect blood the only blood which is sufficient to cover all of our sins without a real life that could have never happened and so he gave that life to a real and literal death. You know, we might, we might say it this way, Jesus was born only to die. But that doesn't really sound so profound because all of us are born only to die. Our literal lives will end one day, just as Jesus' did. But his death had so much more meaning. His death was for the meaning and purpose of our own deaths. So that when we die, it doesn't end. So that we're not held in judgment of our sins. You have to die at some point. 100% of us. The, the question is, upon death, at the end of this life, does the life that Jesus literally lived without sin and died, does it affect your life from that point on? Eternal life is found through the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins is provided by the atonement, the shedding of the blood of the Son of God. It's very, very simple, but it's a wonderful message. He had to live a real and literal life in order for that to happen. He also experienced some of the very same things that you and I experienced in life. Isn't it good to know that Jesus faced the very same temptations and the very same struggles and opportunities for fear and frustration and depression that all of us face today? And then he faced it in such a way to say, you see, these things in life all the things that kind of beat you down and, 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 and bring into your life a temptation of maybe losing hope and, 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 and being fearful? He said, watch me. Those things have no grip over me. Jesus lived a life of victory over those things. Not, not just in his death, but even in his physical, literal, real life. He lived in victory over those things. To show us, hey, guess what? The life that you're living this week, today, can also find those victories in him. It reminds me of a little further back in chapter 4 of Hebrews. He said, seeing that we have a great high priest, that's this Jesus' literal life, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points, tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. What do we find there at this throne of grace? That we might find, might find grace to help us in our time of need. Folks, 
I don't know how practical and how wonderful the message of Jesus' life can really be. He says, don't, 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 don't get beat up by the world and circumstances and all this stuff. You live with and serve a high priest who, who lived on your behalf to show you victory over these things, tempted by all the very same things you are, living all the same frustration, tempting things in life that you have this week. And then he said, yet without sin, let us therefore come boldly to this throne. We don't have to be driven from him in weakness. We can be driven to him in boldness. When things get overwhelming and, you know, uh, Christmas is the time of the highest suicide rate in America. So even though we're proclaiming this message, good tidings, great joy, that's not everybody's experience this week in our land, in our communities. Some people are, are, are lonely and hurting and depressed. Why? Because the real, literal life of Jesus and the truth of why he lived has not yet changed their lives. That's the good news. When, don't let them drive you away from God. But I failed. Don't let that drive you away from God. Let your failure, let your, your weaknesses drive you to him. And it says, let us come boldly because it's there. It's there at this throne of grace. We find help. Jesus who overcame, watch this, now helps us to overcome. Thank you, Vaughn. You know, an amen goes right there. I, you must not have gotten the full impact of what I just said. Because, you, you know, mm-hmm, yeah, that's very true theologically. It's good sound doctrine, Pastor. I, I like that. I agree with that. Come on, guys. Does anybody have any weakness in this room? Have you ever, ever wonder, am I really going to be able to do this? Am I going to make it? Is it all really worth it? This, this, this whole message, this whole series we're looking at is called the thrill of hope. Because the Christmas message, the story, brings hope. Because when you face things in life that are difficult, that, that have a tendency to pull you back and make you not bold and not confident in victory, he says, you can come now that I've overcome, come to the throne of grace where you find help in your time of need. You can find help today because Jesus lived victoriously. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right, we'll work on it. All right, all the way back to Luke chapter 2. In fact, let's, let's turn back to Luke chapter 1. He lived a literal, real literal life, but he also, watch this, he gave for us a real and literal example, Jesus did. He gave a real and literal example that the angels come and behold, he says to Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus and he will be great and called the son of the highest. He will be great. Do you know when the angel told Mary that Jesus, your son, will be great? It was not a specific reference to after he was glorified and ascended to be seated at the right hand of God because that's already greatness. There's no arguing that God, in all of his glory, in, in eternal heavens, and wh where he exists, is great. The question was, when he comes down here on earth and takes on human form of, uh, in a literal body, will he be great then? And the angel says, do not fear, he will be great. He will give for you and I a literal example in our lives of how to live. You, you, you ever notice, um, in fact, turn to Hebrews chapter 1, and let me say this. Hebrews chapter 1. You ever notice... Jesus, when he was born, let's say, let's say, 
I agree he came, literally, to shed his blood for the sins of mankind. That's why he came. Well, it's true, isn't it? Wait, am I in the right place? It's true, isn't it? Okay, so he came. Then why didn't he come in the form of a man, full grown, so that he can die right there, right then on the spot, and be done with it? Why was there a baby? Why was there a growing up teenage years, experiencing all of Jewish life, learning the Torah and sacrifice and temple worship and all the things that he did as a little Jewish boy? Why was there a life that he lived? Hebrews chapter 1 gives us some insight. Look at verse 1. God, who at various times and various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, okay, so what he's saying is, God does speak to you folks. In the past, he spoke through his prophets. Now watch, in verse 2, has in these last days, now, spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the world. God is interested. God is planning. God wants to and will speak to the people on earth. And he says, today, in today's day and age, he speaks to the people through his Son, through the life of his Son, through the interaction of his Son, through the words of his Son. We have a life of Jesus because God the Father used God the Son's life to reveal who he is. To show us. It's, it's the Old Testament and the Torah and all the laws that came alive and dwelt among us in our midst so that we can see it become flesh. We can see what God looks like and know what God wants for us in our lives. Look at the next verse, verse 3. Whom being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of God, the majesty on high. Now, there's a whole lot of stuff there. I don't have time to talk about it all, but I, I want to show you this. In verse 3 it said, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Who's the his? Who? Is it? Is it? You see that? His is God the Father. The creator of of all that is, ever was, and ever will be. The beginning and the end. The sovereign God that is so, like, I can't even wrap my mind around what God looks like and how he thinks and what it might be like to stand in his presence. I, he's so far, he's so far better than me and holier than me that I can't conceive in such a way to relate to him except, except this, I can because Jesus, his son, was made being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. It's the life of Jesus that gives us the personal, intimate opportunity to know who he is. To know him personally. Isn't it wonderful? Guys, don't miss this this Christmas, please. Isn't it wonderful to know that God loves you so much? that he was interested in you knowing who he is, even in this life personally, so that you can experience him and walk with him and know him. So that knowing Jesus makes a difference in your life here today, right now. That's the glorious wonder of a real and literal life that gave us a real, literal example of how to live. Here's how you live. 
And Jesus said, listen, come here. Takes your hand, walks through life with you, and shows you, look, when these kind of circumstances arise, here's the God of heaven. Look how I respond. Look what I say. Look at the, remember the things that I saw and chose to do in circumstances in real life. And then you can do the same, and therefore you can know your heavenly Father right here, right now, through me. Wonderful truth. It gives life meaning. Um, I wonder, what would it be like without Jesus? Fortunately, we don't have to know today. But what would it be like? What would it be like if there was a question mark at the end? Like, I, I know God's holy and he's got all these laws and, and these ways and I try to do them the best I can and most of the time I find it difficult. Sometimes I find it impossible to do them. But, and so that kind of tells me that I really can't please him and I don't know how to get there and, and how on earth am I going to stand before him one day when I die for eternity? What if there was only a question mark at the end of life? I'm, listen, I'm not sure it'd be worth living. I'm not sure if I would have reason. I would sure be scrambling hard to try to find things to hope for. I mean, you'd have to work really hard at it. And sometimes you get so frustrated and so despondent, you'd probably want to numb it with like alcohol or drugs or, or a life of just, you know what, I'll just do it my own way. If I can please myself enough, then maybe, maybe it'll feel better like I have a meaning and purpose for life. And that's what happens to people without Christ. And that's what would happen to us without Christ. Do you remember that? We have a meaningful life. We have purpose in our life today. Why? Because Jesus gave us a real, literal example of how to live and how to know the Father. Remember what he said? You want to know the Father? See me. You want to understand the Father? Come through me. Talk to me. You say, in what ways have we already seen the Father? He said, I have been with you all of these days, and you know the Father. Jesus lived a real, literal life. He gave a real, literal, literal example. And there's one more truth, sometimes the forgotten truth, and I really want to close our time together this morning looking at this one. All the way back in Luke chapter 1, again, when he said that his life will be great, he will be great here on earth and in heaven, Verse 32, and then it says, And he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Listen carefully, church. Jesus will establish a real and literal kingdom. It says it right there. It's got to be important. There is something at work here when the angel comes and says to these people, Listen, He's going to be great. He's going to be the Savior. He also is coming so that the Lord, God, will give him the throne, a very specific throne of a very specific person, his father, David. And then it says in verse 33, what's he going to do with this throne? He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. There, Guys, you understand that this Jesus also was promised to a people called Israel to a nation that God chose, and he said, you people will be the people that I will choose to reveal myself to, and I will rule over, the, eventually, the entire universe through this people and the throne that I established in their midst. You understand that's a promise that God made to Israel. 
That was the throne of David. And in Daniel 9 and other places in the Old Testament, we see the prophecy that says, this throne will be filled, will be ruled by a descendant of David who will never lose. In other words, there's a kingdom coming, a kingdom literally of earthly rule, so that the ways of man will have no choice but to align with the ways of God. Why? Because this kingdom will prevail in righteousness. This kingdom will prevail in the ways of God. God's ways will establish rule and order through the entire earth when he receives the throne. What does it take to get you guys excited? I'm working at it here. I'm trying. See, sometimes we don't get excited. I understand it's a service and, you know, we've got our ties on and we're supposed to be very proper. Listen. Sometimes we don't get very excited about that. In other words, it doesn't really make a difference in our lives because we don't understand it, or even worse, we don't believe it. But see, that's what God the Father was doing that day that Jesus was born. This will be the heir. My son will inherit the kingdom that I've been telling you about, that I promised. And in this kingdom and on this throne, God the Father says, I will rule the earth. Do you, you think we're there yet? When you look around and you see politics and you see the government today, does it look like the ways of God ruling over the earth to you? Does it, you sometimes wonder, I mean, we're just going to kill all ourselves. Government today is just going to destroy everything. Probably will, would, except God will intervene. And God will intervene by one day giving Jesus the literal throne. Jesus will rule from that throne, and he will rule with an iron scepter using the righteous ways of the Father to govern the earth. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15. But each one of his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards, those who, who are Christ at his coming, he's talking about the resurrection, one day you'll be raised up, each one, verse 24, then comes the end, when he, that's Jesus, delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. That last enemy will be destroyed, that death. He says, literally, there's coming a period of time, watch this, where God the Father, if you don't know this, this, is, this, is, this should change your life right here, okay? This is worth admission right here. The, the world's getting out of order more and more. And there's a day where the Father will be finished with that. And Jesus will return in resurrected body form. With resurrected saints. That's what he's talking about. He's telling the church at Corinth. You will be there, saints. And there will be literally a, ca- a, a kingdom established for a thousand years where Jesus puts everything back into order according to the Father's plan. Satan is removed from the picture for a thousand years. God's kingdom will rule and flourish for a thousand years until it's all right. And when it's all right, this is saying, at the end, Jesus will come back to the Father and present the kingdom and say, now this is a kingdom that is worthy of you, Father, of your rule, right? Of your presence. This is a kingdom that looks like it belongs to you. 
And that's his job, to put it back into order. Hey, guess what? It takes a real and literal person to be able to sit on a throne in the world today, a real and literal world, and have a real, literal kingdom where God's ways prevail. Where abortion is no longer a possibility. Where people don't murder in theaters and schools innocent victims. Where we don't constantly seek to promote ourselves at the expense of others. Where peace and joy and righteousness and goodness and light and God's glory actually govern and rule how men live on the earth. Now in Revelation 21, and I'll end here, it talks about at the end of that thousand year period when Jesus himself then brings the kingdom to the Father and presents it to him. Chapter 21 and verse 1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne and said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. God's kingdom will endure. It will come. And it will prevail. And it will end right. There's hope for us. There's hope for us. Now we do our part to lay the groundwork. Now we do our part to live faithfully in kingdom ways in the midst of a world who doesn't operate that way. And we prepare ourselves for kingdom rule. We prepare ourselves for experiencing the kingdom. We show the rest of the world what the kingdom of God looks like and what they can look forward to and how they can be a part of it. That's our call. That's our role. Those who believe in the literal Savior and have been saved on this earth look forward to a real and literal kingdom. That is our ministry. That's our purpose. And that gives us meaning. At the very end, and this is where I'll close, at the very end of the Bible, Jesus reminds us of why these things are important. He says, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Think about the baby that was born saying this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorrowers and sexual immorality, murderers, idolaters, those lovers of evil that practice lies. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you that these things in the churches are true. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. Jesus makes no bones about who he is. I am the beginning and the end. 
I literally live the life. I literally belong on the throne. This is who I am, the bright and morning star, the one who will establish everything that is glorious and good. And then he says to the churches, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water freely. Come. The real and the literal person of God, as he took on form, Jesus Christ, says to the world today, says to you today, come. What I am doing, what I am preparing, what I have done, all is for you to experience tabernacle with God. Come. Come. When the angel said, this is great news, guys. This is wonderful news. You're really going to dig this. Check it out. That's why they were saying that. Because it's for you to come to God. The good news of Christmas, the hope that we have is through Jesus, his life, his death, burial, and resurrection, we can come to the Father and experience all that he has and all that he is. What wonderful news is that? That brings us hope today. I wonder if you're here this morning and that doesn't click with you. That doesn't give you a sense of hope. Maybe you have never personally, actually, literally believed and confessed that that is true. The Bible says that if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God, you will be saved. You will be redeemed, brought into the hope by His blood, by His grace. You will be forgiven of your sins, receive eternal life. We can't leave here today until we talk about the fact that Jesus' birth led to Jesus' death, which allowed him to shed blood for the atonement, the covering of all of our sins. And the real question this morning is, did you come to Christmas this week under the blood of the baby that we celebrate? Have you been forgiven by his payment for your sins? If not, don't leave this place. Don't face life without it. Don't wonder. Don't take the chance of being lost eternally without hope. Jesus says, come. Would you pray with me? He wants you to come to him this morning. That's his heart. That's his purpose. That's why he came. Would you pray with me? Listen, if you're here this morning and you need to pray to receive Jesus, believe in his death, burial, and resurrection for you, right now, right here, pray these prayers right here. Here we go. I'm going to lead you. You pray to the Father. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I cannot get to you because of my own sin. This morning, I choose to surrender. To quit trying on my own and relying on self. But I choose to trust in you, Jesus. Who came as a real, literal Savior and died a real death for me. Under your real blood, I can be forgiven of my sins. And I choose to believe by faith this morning and trust you as my Savior. Come into my life. I believe. For all of us this morning, and we have believed, we do believe, we trust in Jesus. Would you spend some time just, listen, make it real. 
Lord, your life was an example for me. And I want to live my life this week, this month, this year. Just like you did, following the example that you gave. I want to know God the Father intimately and personally by how I live my life here and now. And I'm reminded this morning as I celebrate your birth. Perhaps it's what I've always been despondent about the future. And this morning, I I want to stake my claim and believe knowing that you will return and establish a kingdom. And I will be part of that kingdom. You will bring righteousness at the end. And Lord, we look forward to that day. Father, where your ways are clearly seen throughout the universe on earth and you rule with righteousness and peace. Help us to be faithful to that kingdom here and now. Help us to begin living that way. Help us attract those who are lost and hurting. Help us to be your light. you in Jesus' name. You have been so good to us. And we celebrate the birth of our Savior, your wonderful gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Um, Can I call your attention to the response card? Pastor Matt made sure everybody had one earlier. He referred to that. Would you put your name, other information on the front of that card? In just a moment, church, we're going to collect an offering. We're going to give of ourselves. You know, um, this is perhaps one of the most important parts of our worship time together. Let's be careful not to see the, the offering time is, oh, the service is over and now we just, we're trying to get my money and that's, that's not at all what we're doing here. What we're doing is set aside some time as, as God's people to give back to Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And we want to love God back by giving and tithing and giving of our finances and our response to the the message and to what he's revealed to us in his word is our gift of sacrifice back to God. It's our worship. It's the most clear part of worship that we do today. I want to to encourage you, give faithfully. Give as it reflects worship to the glorious God that you serve. Those are going to help with offering the ushers. Would you come forward at this time? We're giving um, specifically to the regular general fund tithes and offerings of the church and and that's, that's your regular, consistent means of worship. I encourage you to be faithful to that. We're also giving to our special Christmas offering today. Um, this, will be, um, this will be the second to the last. We'll take up one more next week. But the second to the last offering for that purpose, and it's to help the international ministry toward the Mian people. And then thirdly, we're all, we are also taking up support for Upward. We've already covered all of the scholarships, plus some. Thank you for being faithful, but we're going to continue to take up money if you'd like to give to the Upward Ministry, our outreach to the community, all three of those things. If you can give them an offering plate, or you can put the Christmas offering in the manger up here as a direct offering in your mind, right to Jesus, and um, that will be your act of worship. So, Pastor Joe, would you lead us in prayer? Father God, we want to thank you for all that you've given to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. And Lord, as we 
have been here this morning reveling in your word and, and knowing that we have a hope, such a hope, mankind can never know. Thank you, Father, for being able to, to come now and, and to give back to you a portion, but coming from our hearts, Lord Jesus. Accept it, we pray. In your name we pray. Amen.